In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast, hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Off air talking about uh, muscle-bound athletes, and I thought it's kind of fitting considering there's four muscle-bound athletes here right now. It is Footy Prime, Sharman, DiCchio, Forrest, and on keyboards, Dan Wong. Hello, fellas. Quite the weekend of sports, wasn't it? Magnificent. Magnificent. All around. Unreal. Boxing, hockey, basketball, Raptors on fire. Jeez, record scores for the Raptors. Yeah. Tyson Fury, yeah. For the, uh, Carolina you know, I, so I watched the start of the Leaf game to the point where he just came in, David Ayers, and uh, they scored a couple of quick goals, and then I saw two breakaways from Carolina. Then I switched over to the fight, and I didn't go back, but I'm obviously on Twitter following. I couldn't believe what was happening. And it got me thinking, like, is goalkeeping, goaltending like the easiest job in sports? <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> He's been waiting for that all weekend. Oh, yeah. I have yeah, since Saturday night. Job. Ooh. I was thinking. <laughs> well, I mean, hockey, though. I mean, like, okay, what's more difficult? Hockey goalkeeping, goaltending, or football goalkeeping? It's got to be football goalkeeping, right? Oh, there's more elements to football goalkeeping. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just saying that. Be that good with your stick it's a big bloody goal. You're not wearing pads. I mean, I understand that hockey has, to a certain point, you need you can see the Martin Brodeurs compared to the Vesa Tosculas. There's a big difference there, right? But it's more positioning than hockey, I would think, than reflexes, isn't it? Well, you've got everything else. You've got, you've got to be a wide receiver, a center in basketball, a shortstop in baseball, a quarterback. You have to distribution has to be good. You have so many so many different elements Is that to football. Right in hockey as well, Craig. Like goalkeepers or goaltenders, whatever they're called, used to be small, but now they've totally changed. Totally changed. And all the goalkeepers are like massive units. Right? Yeah, and that happened with the, with the the equipment really. So like going back to the eighties, when you had guys like Richard Brodeur for the Vancouver Canucks was probably five, six, maybe. small and agile. Yeah, stand up. Stand up. I never went down on the butterfly ever. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Kirk McLean in Vancouver, 94, is probably the last stand-up or one of the last stand-up goalies. Mm-hmm. And now they're six for five, six for six, a lot of these guys, right? They're monsters. Yeah. And they used to be the forwards, and now they're yeah. goalies. And now, and plus they've got the, the padding. Now, I know that they reduced the padding somewhat in the last mm-hmm. few years, but still, compared to the 80s, you watch an old 80s game yeah. on uh, Leafs Nation TV or something from, you know, 1986, Mike Palmatier, and like, what the hell is he wearing? It's like yeah. like regular hockey pads. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's amazing what the Ovechkin's doing here in the scoring. He's got 700 goals. One of, I don't know, eight guys. 
overshadowed by the way this weekend <laughs> by a bloody Zamboni driver, oh, but still. But incredible what he's done in a, in the modern era. It's true, right? I mean, how does that relate to football, though? Modern when when you see Leo Messi scoring, you know, God knows how many goals a season. Messi's probably a bad example. Just mm. another striker scoring twenty goals a season, say, compared to the eighties when the fields were worse. But was the game that much different? Are you did to earn a goal more now than perhaps in the eighties? Do you think, or is it the opposite? Well, I don't know. I think when you look at a guy like Messi or even you know Ronaldo, those two guys are just in a different league of their own. They're talking about a goal a game, like it's just unheard of. Mm. I didn't think. I mean, somebody that scores one every two games at the top level, you're going to be your top top striker. Mm-hmm. But when you broke through in the in you know mid eighties, mm-hmm. you were six foot five. Yeah, that's a pretty big goalkeeper for those days, right? Yeah, it was. You, you, you were the tallest player in the Premier League, weren't you? Yeah, when, when for it... three years until I can't remember who it was. Another, I don't know if it was goalkeeper. Or, or there was an out player, but yeah, very, very, yeah, quite tall. I mean, goalkeepers. We had this uh, when we were training with these youngsters uh, last weekend. <clears throat> you know, different size goalkeepers, and everybody wants tall goalkeepers. They want the profile. Yeah, they want the profile, and it's hard to get around that for some of the shorter goalkeepers who are trying to make it who are very sharp very quick mm-hmm. but the profile doesn't fit so much so they're they're battling against that uh, which is difficult not to say that short goalkeepers can't be successful there has been some but you have to be exceptionally good and quick uh, like a Bartez at Man United who is a sweeper keeper needed something a little bit different Mm-hmm. Good with his feet. You have to be great with your feet if you're shorter, for sure. And bring other things to the game. In, in the game nowadays, are you looking for in your goalkeeper? Are you looking for what's the most important attribute? Is is it quickness, it distribution, down, just that? Still, <laughs> but I mean, distribution is going to be more I mean, and more important, academy right? Academy level is different because we're developing players. I think at the professional level, you are kind of seen upon being efficient in keeping the ball out of the back of the net. I mean, there's a lot of guys, uh, even look at the big boy at Burnley now, Pope, who's not very good with his feet, but he's come in since replacing the likes of Joe Hart and even Heaton, who's moved on now, and he's pushed himself into the England setup. But again, great profile, tall, uh, very good at collecting crosses, good shot stopper, but not very good with his feet. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to the old school way of thinking. The goalkeeper is there. Like the striker is there to score goals. Really, really, when you're from the outside looking at a striker and you're going, okay, does he link the play well? Does he does he hold the ball up? Does he make intelligent runs? Yeah, I look at that for sure. I'm in the development phase. But a professional stage and coach, you, you, you're thinking about, does the striker put the ball in the back of the net? What is his goals tally? No one's looking at Ronaldo's uh, performances at the moment. They've seen that he's scored in the last seven games in Serie A. Yeah, 11, yeah. 11, 11, 11. Yeah. So that's the big thing. And goalkeepers as well. They're, they're, they're seen, they're judged upon clean sheets. Haven't the, haven't the Ronaldo's and Messi's just made it more difficult for other strikers now? Because they've raised the bar so high. You know, if you're, if you're a 10-goal-a-season guy now, that's really good, right? But when you're looking at these guys hitting 30 year after year after year thinking ah maybe it's not what it used to be and the assists too yeah precisely just machine they've ruined it for everyone Messi and Ronaldo ruined football you know going back years when Messi and Ronaldo came onto the scene I never thought the modern game would ever see somebody that could score a goal a game average yeah well you know thinking about the best players we watched right growing up right I mean if I can pick one guy 
you know, I see Zidane stood out to me as being, I can't imagine a better player than Zinedine Zidane. And that was just before Messi and Ronaldo broke through and thought, oh, Christ, boy, they're, they're better. But, but even at Liverpool, Shams, you had a, a goal scorer when I was growing up, Ian Rush, who was like a legend of scoring goals. Mm-hmm. I, I just think nowadays it's exemplified even more because of social media and because of the media attention to the game. But there was goal scorers back in the days. Yeah, George Best, Ian Rush, Clive Allens, Jimmy Greaves. You know, you go for even further back. Kevin Phillips, who I played with at Sunderland, they banged goals nearly every game. They were in and about the goals fixture. So, but were they were they guys that you just kind of noticed afterwards on the score sheet? Where oh yeah, geez, Rush, he had a couple today, or Clive yeah, Allen scored Rushy three. Was that guy, he was that fox in the box that. He wasn't really going to give you anything outside of the 18-yard box. He'd make intelligent runs in beyond uh, like opponents' defences, but he banked goals. He was there. He was consistently up there. Yes, he had a good supporting cast <laughs> along mm-hmm. with him in that great Liverpool team back in the 80s and 90s, but again, he was a, a poacher. He got his big move to Juve, struggled a little bit over there, but um, another example of we had goal scorers back in the 80s, 90s, even the 70s as well. I just think Nowadays, we're very lucky that we're witnessing the likes of Messi and Ronaldo. Um, but we still had those guys, maybe not at the high quality which these guys show, but we had them back in the day, Craig. You played oh, yeah. against them many a time. Yeah, yeah. Guys like that. Rushy dragged one out of my arms at Anfield. Did he? Yeah, I, was, I had control of it, and he was like, yeah, his foot stuck in there. And, and <laughs> Got it out, dug around. Pulling at it, pulling at it. it seemed like an eternity, and then he finally dragged it out, and I was... And they tapped in the net. But go, going back to this Zamboni driver, right? Because I, I don't watch hockey. Excuse my uh, my ignorance. It's trade deadline day. Uh, How sorry, dare you say sorry. that? But my, my oldest boy was, so. was on the phone and he was speaking to his friends. And they said, we've got to turn this game on. We've got to turn this game on. Apparently, uh, the Leafs are playing against someone that, that has never, ever played an NHL game before. He's sitting in the stands as a little bit of cover. Uh, he's a Zamboni driver. So I said, okay, let's, let's put on. And the Leafs are paying him. And the Leafs are paying him as well. So, uh, and you put a wee bet on it too, didn't I you? put a little bit on it, you yeah. Fancy let me down. No. <laughs> Six, three down. They were 25 to one. So I've lumped on and the Leafs let me down. Like they They'll let many other players. Every time. I'm, I'm never sorry. bet. But anyway, so never. I said, I have no idea what's going on here. How how can this possibly be happening that an average Joe, pardon the pun or anything like that, no disrespect to, to Joe's out to there, Ayers, whatever his name was, can come in in a professional game and play in goal? So I I was watching um, connected afterwards with our good friend Brendan uh, Dunlop. It's called Sportsnet Central now. Sorry, Sportsnet Central, whatever you want to fucking call it. So. I said to him, I said, Dunlop, I, I, I can't uh, get to grips with this. Can you tell me the equivalent of this happening in football? So he responded in, in a very, very sarcastic way. This is during a, this is during a commercial this is break. Brendan Dunlop, right? yeah, during commercial. He said, <laughs> I think the equivalent would be a team having used all their substitutions and then lose their star goalkeeper, putting the wide winger in the gloves, and on that they get to use a police dog running up and down the wing. A police dog. He's to calling replace the winger. David Ayres is, is a dog. <laughs> so I said, that doesn't make sense, uh, Dunlop. You just used a, a totally <laughs> off-topic example yeah. of using a police dog. It's a good try, though. As a winger. It's a good try, though, Brendan. Yeah. He, he's, he's an Aston rushing. Villa fan. So he was getting like a countdown in his you know, five seconds, <laughs> yeah, and he's still, he's t- trying he's to still text texting me. you and trying to think of something funny to say and failing. 
I know. But can can you think of an equivalent of it in no, football? No, not the same. Um, remember, Alan uh, played for West Ham. First win or first Premier League appearance for West Ham a few weeks ago, months ago. Uh, that would be the only thing I would see is somebody who played lower division. Oh yeah, Martin Allen's boy. Martin yeah, Allen's that's right. Boy, yeah, and then you know, in his thirties, gets an opportunity to finally play in the top flight. Yeah, that would be the closest. But he was signed to a professional contract, though, at least, right? So, so yes, tell me this: right. so this goalkeeper so no wasn't even on a professional contract? No, no. He signed. He he signed. Like he, the way it works is essentially um, every home venue in hockey has to have a emergency goalkeeper goaltender okay. in case two guys go down. He had to sign the waiver before going on the ice, so he could play for either team. Both teams. Either either team. Team. You could have played for the Leafs, yeah. Yeah, he had yeah. a Leaf helmet on. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was weird to me as well. And, and pads. And pads too, yeah. Blue yeah. pads. So, but, you know, we were talking, Craig, beforehand, and you were involved in the West Ham preseason match where there was a heckling fan in the crowd, and Harry Redknapp had enough of it and said, all right, let's see how good you are, right? And yeah. actually got him on the field playing yeah. in an exhibition game with West Ham. Yeah, that's right. He was uh, he was giving it plenty, as most fans do there. It was a preseason game, not a big crowd, some non-league. I can't remember all the details who we were playing, some non-league situation. Might have been a testimonial, to, you know, a pre you know, the, the deal. Yeah. And uh, this guy's giving it plenty. You guys are crappy. <laughs> Went on and on. And so Harry's turned around and goes, oh, you're so good. Hey, put your boot size of you. That's Get the gear on. Unbelievable. Second half, he ran out. So how was he welcomed by the players? He'd been given the note, oh, and then he's playing side yeah, by the side. didn't really take much note. There was sort of like, okay. It was, it was just rather, I've never seen anything like it before. I mean. How, how bad was he? Harry was, you know, he wasn't great. <laughs> didn't get a lot of touches. <laughs> he kind of hid behind players. I, I think when I look at it, the only comparison, and I'm trying to look it up now, is when Graham Souness played... George Weyer's cousin. Ali Dyer. The Ali Dyer in a Premier League we game. We were looking at that, yeah. yeah. Just on... So the story is... We, we, <laughs> so I forgot the story, right? And we're reading about it. So uh, Graham Sims got a phone call yeah. from someone purporting to be George Weyer. George Weyer. And it turns out it was actually... He was in his, need of a striker at a time. Yeah. And it turned out the guy was actually Ali Dyer's university roommate. Yeah. <laughs> and soon as bought it. But he must have had training You'd sessions. You think so, right? The training well, that's ground. her thing. And he must have had one decent session. He put him, he got he, on. He he put him on in a Premier League game. Lasted, I think it was a full six minutes. He replaced Matt Letizier. <laughs> he replaced Matt Letizier, and then he came off, I think, in the 85th minute. Yeah, he played actually quite a bit of the game in the end. Yeah. 13th minute. He came on in the 13th minute and left in the 85th. Oh, wow. So he must have just been floating around, you know, not being involved, you know, and not... I don't know. It's, 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 Graham Sooners, I mean, he's done some strange <laughs> things in his career, right? But that has got to be the tops. Yes. Incredible. Like, he thought Weah actually was... Calling him. Giving yeah. him a good tip here. <laughs> and, 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 just lower. and the guy told him, yeah, he's played 13 times for Senegal or something, yeah. and played for Paris Saint-Germain. Not a no-name club. <laughs> a yeah. pretty big club, Not even back that. in those days. Maybe in the modern day, you yeah. I mean, with the computers and yeah, I don't think there was. This was '96, right? I think '96. There was a lack happened. of lack of internet back then. Uh, internet, yeah. internet. Yeah, there was. So let me ask you this then: um, Say you're desperate for a player, something happens football-wise, and a shaman's in the stands or behind the scenes, and you got to bring me on, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm crap. What's the best position to play me at? Just to not cause too much trouble. Where we can hide you. Yeah. yeah. Where can you hide a player best in the football somewhere. field? I, or, or up front. 
I think, yeah. On an island? You've got to either play <laughs> you see my touch? up top as, as a nine or on the wings. You've got to keep them as far away from the goal as possible. Your, yeah. your goal. Your goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I believe anyway. So you get the out players that go in from time to time. Yeah, I went in goal uh, once as well. It was like for I the last two minutes yeah. of the game for Sunderland. Just collected a couple of crosses. Did you? Yeah. You actually came for a couple? Yeah. Didn't have no shots, though, so thank, thank God I think. Was, that, was that with long hair? Or? No, I had short hair back ah, in the day. It's, it's kind of ruins the image now. It's an situation when the players go in because they have the difference being we're talking about errors who came in as an emergency goalie for, for Carolina. But if you have a – at least he has experience in that. He's a, he's a, he's yeah. a goalie at a decent level. He's a practice but goalie. But when you put an out yeah. player in that – Quinny went in goal quite a bit as well. I think he went in for City and Sunderland. Yeah. Big Nile Quinn, yeah. 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 I think we were just putting because of our height. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think you can come and collect crosses. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't see. Oh, I would have chipped times. him for fun. I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inchai private eye. <laughs> Inchai private eye. <laughs> <laughs> he was a decent keeper, though. Uh, hey, Dan, Wonga. Yeah, you played like football, the other kind of football, right? Yeah. There's such massive squads. You could easily hide a crap player in that game, yeah? Game, yeah? <laughs> uh, you just throw them on wide receiver. Oh, yeah? Because you don't have a lot of blocking, right? You, you can't put them on the defensive side because you miss an assignment, someone's going the other way. So you got to play them on the offense. So offense, <laughs> wide receiver, you never throw to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right fielder, right? Yeah. Most people swing, right. swing are right-handed. So the ball going out to the right fielder doesn't happen very much, right? So, but for football, you throw them in that farthest away. <laughs> don't the ball. Just get them to run routes. That's right. You can't even put them on special teams. Because if, if you say, hey, you got to be a punter or something like that, You've seen Canadian football. Third downs are crazy because it's such a wide field. And if you have a crappy punter, it's a touchdown the other way or a missed tackle, all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. But it's always the furthest. Like, it's basically the same. So the winger, yeah. again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do least damage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I was always great at hiding in games. <laughs> right, really good. Like, you wouldn't see me out there, right? I'd be just like, you know, tying my shoelace, you know, no, hiding no behind some big fella. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But at, at your level, when you play professionally, you must, every single player on that field must be wanting the ball at all times, right, surely? Was there any kind of comparison to me, like a guy that might hide a little bit out there despite being a professional footballer? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, how would that work? Paolo the professionals. Daniel was a fantastic player. Everybody, yeah, brilliant. But away from home, you'd go missing at times, for sure. I mean, on purpose. He, yeah. he just had he no interest had in sniffles, you. It would always be an away game. So not just playing badly, but we do like we're literally just trying to avoid being yeah. involved. Yeah, <laughs> must drive you up the freaking wall. Like you, you really didn't. As much as he'd been successful at Old Trafford, especially in the FA Cup when they won one 0 there, he generally didn't really. Like to playing games where he was going to be chasing shadows for ninety minutes. Right. Right. Ile Berkovich, another brilliant midfield player. Yeah. Away from home, you wouldn't see him as much. But these guys that could be game breakers for you, they could win games by themselves. Oh yeah. So as as a teammate, you must be thinking, for Christ's sake, Paolo, yeah. step it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's those conversations. <laughs> Jesus. And as a goalkeeper, you can see it, right? Probably better than most. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Were you like mouthy? Were you like giving it to him on the field at the time? No, no, no. He was a legend. 
that's that's a that's a key thing as well. So that these players that players off Flair that were were very good at changing the game and and just doing something extraordinary were the guys that disappointed you the most at times. So when things got a little bit heated or when you were a tough away fixture and you really wanted to count on them to, to kind of change something up, those were the guys that kind of went hiding. And, and those that was disappointing for me. I played with a couple of guys like that. Yeah. Where you think, this is this is really your bread and butter. This is where us bunch of average Joes, like we're, we're going to keep working hard for you, but we're going to give you that opportunity to change something for us and, and maybe get us a goal, nick a goal at Old Trafford, whether it be from a set piece or uh, try and get something on the counter at Liverpool or Anfield when you were kind of bunkering in. So you, you kind of really, really were disappointed by players like that. I'm not going to name names, but... Name names. No, Come I on, can't it's been years names. now. They're not listening. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't much that I, I had the experience of playing with guys like that, but I can understand what Craig's saying about like a Di Canio or Berkovic who on their day were, were, were frightening, were unbelievable to watch, a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. But as fans, they don't see it as much as what the players playing with those certain uh, types of players could yeah. do to a team's morale and mentality. Yeah. Like you said, is you're disappointed with them because you know how good they are mm-hmm. and what they can do. Would they be, would those, those guys like Di Canio, would he be vocal to other teammates when they weren't pulling their socks up and, and playing hard enough? Uh, yeah. So he could be a bit yeah, hypocritical? A bit of both, yeah. He's Italian. What do you expect? <laughs> you can say that. You can say that. I can say that. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> but, QPR had one. Sorry to interrupt you. QPR an Italian? Had one, uh, no, <laughs> had no. one of them? They had a very, very uh, good player. And Neil Warnock had him for, for, for a while. Tarabat. Adele Tar- Tarabat. Adele Tarabat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, gonna, yeah. And, uh, That's a great example. He drove certain players crazy and there was times when not much for not naming names yeah. <laughs> I didn't go. play with this guy so I just know because he played for my old club and the fans loved him they adored him but like certain players on the team just couldn't understand how he could get away with so much and in the end Warnock had pulled the captain to the side um, Clint Hill and a couple of other like experienced guys and said look we just have to go with the flow here. You have to understand that this guy's going to win you games when it's tight in the Premier League or he's going to do something amazing. So we have to give him mm-hmm. the, the opportunity, but we also have to let him off when we're defending with eight players or nine players because he's soaking that he didn't get a free kick. Yeah, or, it's almost like the luxury player. He's yeah. going to provide something Big for time. you, but at the other end of the field, not so much, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Can I ask a question then to these guys? Because I just kind of go... So you know those guys who are amazing, and we've all done an amazing play in our life if you've been athletic and played sports. Once. Once. Can they do it all the time, though, too? You know, that's what I always, I always sit there and go, so we expect that of them, but can they bring it every single The true greats can, right? Well, this yeah. even the true greats have days off where they, mm. you know, they had a bad sleep and they're, you know, like, that's where I kind of go, because... I've had, like, you know, in my career, I had 15 great plays where people were like, oh, that's amazing. And then the other guys, the stars, they were, you know, 100 compared to me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, but then there's the superstars. Because mm. I, I don't think I ever played with a, a superstar. And maybe that superstar level, have you guys ever played with a superstar? 
that's maybe the question because it's like a LeBron versus a, <coughs> and a Kawhi who are superstars versus you know I'm going basketball here because that's yeah. what I know but you know and that's what I want like have you ever played with a true superstar well I mean it, we're talking Messi and Ronaldo right now yeah as a true superstar they're in the you know LeBron sort of mold um, top top players um, they they do bring it every game and I think that's the difference between the very best the, the, good. the top elite, yeah. yeah. But you, you even look at the top elite players. We're talking about Messi here and Ronaldo. And Messi has been an unbelievable servant to Barcelona. But he's been criticized because of his performances and successes with Argentina oh, he, at the international yeah. level. So we're talking about a top, top elite athlete here mm -hmm. who can change a game at any moment but struggles to do it on the international stage with different teammates that he's obviously not training and playing with every day. Where Ronaldo, on the counter to that, has produced for his country. He's won the championship with Portugal. He's won. Even though he was on it, he was coaching from the But Portugal's yeah, yeah. been coached better than Argentina over the years and probably have more depth than Argentina. Is that is that fair to say from a teammate? No. Because I think, I think I Bill criticised, yeah? You think Argentina... Messi's underperformed for his country. That's the argument. Yeah, I think he's been unfortunate too. So do I. I think he's had some great World Cups yeah. when he's done all he could possibly do, right. but it's not enough. And people have criticised him, and I've watched those World Cups, and this guy can't do any more. You're telling me Portugal have more depth than Argentina? No, I, I, well, you know what? In recent years, no look at Argentina. Chance. Argentina, years, no chance. Portugal were fortunate to win that. Oh, you are opening up a can of worms <laughs> there, Craig. <laughs> Portugal. Oh. <laughs> no, but I agree. That was a dreadful Euro, and they won through defense, right, Correct. with some big goals from Ronaldo. And they got through it. But Ronaldo's on it wherever. I mean, he's played a whole bunch of different teams, too. Yeah. Club level, Champions League, won it wherever he's been. Yeah. And carrying Portugal. Yeah. You know, most of them aren't in the same quality, obviously, as Real Madrid. But Argentina, I mean, okay, you can name individuals. Sergio Aguero hasn't really performed for his country. If you want to call out Messi, that's why Javier Mascherano yeah, was why great I'm not in his calling position. Out Messi to a degree that is his fault. I'm just saying he hasn't produced at the international level, which Ronaldo has. You can't argue it, I guess, because he's got a, tra a championship to prove it. Yeah, right? and Ronaldo, you're, you're comparing Ronaldo playing with the likes of certain players throughout his Portuguese career. Yes, Portugal have a, a much different squad now. But look at the players that Messi has played with. Higuain, Aguero, yeah. Mascherano. Well, Mascherano separately, right? And they've had good coaches as well. Sampaoli, mm -hmm. Bielsa, so, Maradona. But I know. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, okay. They're right there, I think, speaks volumes, right? I just think that, you know, having watched Messi for so many years for club and country, I think he's performed really well for his country. But I understand the criticism because he hasn't got the trophy. Yeah. But it's not on him. But... Ronaldo fans love to say that and say, yeah, it's, it's on Messi because there's always that yin and yang Messi yeah. against Ronaldo, right? He was going to throw in his hat in playing. Yeah, he, 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 he did. In, like, the, in, the, in the qualifying, right? He was so. And but well, behind the scenes, the issue with Argentina behind the scenes, it was a complete train wreck. Yeah. Right? Politically. And, you know, yeah. was the heart there to play for them? I don't know. But there's a big issue there, whereas perhaps less so in Portugal. I mean, from a goal standpoint, you got the. The fact that South America's tough group, Commonwealth, is a yeah. Everybody's that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ronaldo shows up against the Faroe Islands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. Them. 
I think we should just appreciate them both. <laughs> you well, know, exactly just because exactly. you love one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, but as a coach, though, Deech, going back to players hiding on the field, can you read your team and read players and think that this guy, your, your, your central midfielder, who's usually very good, very you know engaged, just isn't engaged today? What is the reason for that? Why is that? Bring him aside. Can you read your team and see a guy hiding? Yes. Yes, definitely so. Um, we don't get much of it in youth football but there's certain instances where we've either travelled for a long time the day before and players haven't slept or eaten properly so I can understand that from being the next player but there's there's certain parts of a game where it's very difficult for a left winger to play against their right back who's a, a stud right back who's got the better of him and that's where you kind of see the character come out from within that player and you can see his real personality whether he's ready to go toe-to-toe with with this player that's obviously got the up on him at that moment in the game or whether he kind of goes sheepishly into a hiding factor in the game <laughs> where you're thinking come on you like just get on the ball try and you, and you try to be positive with them and maybe you can sometimes switch positions to see if they can get a little bit of confidence and get on the ball in a different area of the field but a lot of the time it's, it's down to the, the character within that, that player and whether they're willing to to battle that resistance and face that adversity in a way where they're going to show that they can compete and try to, to as I said, go toe-to-toe, win the battle, the 1v1 duel, which we speak about, or they just don't fancy it all. One thing you get in development, obviously, is different from the professional game, is a finished product, right? You've got a pretty good finished product, and that you're coaching that group of players. But for development, for early like beach and that levels, you're going to come across a whole bunch of different scenarios, right? Even just personally, you know, what's going on outside the mm-hmm. white lines with mm-hmm. family, friends, the pressures of just growing up and maturing. Well, is that why, as a goalkeeper, you you obviously you can't hide, right? It's the one position on the field where you you just can't hide. Yeah. Because you can't, you know, <laughs> take a game off already, well, can you, right? I mean, if people were like, oh, did you like playing for this manager? Did you play more for one manager? No. Because everyone knows if you had a bad game. They don't care. They're not going to be blaming the manager if you let one go no. through your hands or through your legs. Whereas a striker, especially you played more four four two, I guess. Yeah. You had a guy I beside you yeah. most of the time, right? You, was it easier to hide in a four four two than a, I don't know, a 4-3-3? No, three, three. Really, because when... You play in a four-four-two, especially being the, the big target man. You're kind of that center, as we call it in the basketball, where you're, you're that link for the team to get out and trying to relieve pressure a bit. So my, my job was to hold up the ball, try and relieve a little bit of pressure from the, the defense or the midfield that were coming under pressure, trying to buy a little bit of time so we can move up as a team. Or if we're further up the field, trying to create chances, little flick-ons, little combinations with, with the smaller striker that I was playing with. So... No, you couldn't really hide. <laughs> and hiding is, is a, a very strong word because for me, I don't feel any player really wants to hide on the field. There could be all different things going on within the game. He could be very tired. He could be fatigued. He could be carrying a knock. Um, the crowd could be getting on him, whether it be through, as we're seeing in present day, racism going on, whether it be some other slurs going on. It might be from just some trash talk going on between two players on the field from opponents to players on your side. But I've rarely seen a player go hiding just because 
he doesn't fancy it on the day. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. rare. It's mm-hmm. rare. At that level, especially, right? Yeah. 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 If there was one player who you came up against on a regular basis who you might want to hide from, who was it? <sighs> Again, I, d- I didn't really. You're six foot three. From you're a beast. People. I'm not sure you're like, scared of players. For but... me, I always had a tough game against John Terry because we would just go at each other all game. Oh, yeah. But he was just a big, physical brute of a person. Was he mouthy? Uh, yeah, he was mouthy as well. But we were both, like, he was East London boy. I was a West London boy. So we, we would have a little bit of banter that way. But at the end of the game, we would always shake hands and we'd have a pint afterwards. Mm-hmm. But well, you, you're the type you enjoyed the yeah, competition. I Play actually, hard and, yeah. I actually struggled playing against smaller defenders. Yeah. Which was interesting. Why, why was that? Because they didn't want to get close to me. Where the big guys wanted the battle, they wanted the 1v1 duels. Yeah. Where smaller defenders. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm feeling them. I'm always kind of, yeah, I know yeah, where yeah. they are. Where the smaller defenders, I had no fucking idea Slip where they were. They were, they were hiding. Getting a foot in there. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They were kind of looking where the ball was. They trying they to stay, to yeah, trying to stay away from me, trying to nick in at the certain moments when I'm receiving the ball. And they were always difficult to play against. Yeah, which yeah. Is, which is interesting because, as you said, you, you'd think a, a big six foot four guy would be able to overpower a, a five foot ten five foot 11 guy but it was difficult playing against smaller defenders do you have more issues Craig as a goalkeeper with uh, big gnarly centre halves and set pieces or big gnarly centre forwards well you got both on the corners you have the the centre backs and the the big forwards too but not so many big forwards right I mean that's kind of gone out of the game I guess I guess when you retired yeah yeah, now so right yeah yeah. the Dickios were there with yeah Mm. really well, the profile, it's the that profile was, again, huh? For yeah, the centre backs. I mean, the eighties was sideways. The football went went <laughs> south as far as you know a product that was entertaining to watch. <laughs> you kidding me? No, it wasn't. Liverpool won every every week. It was great. Yeah, well, <laughs> there were exceptions, of course, but there was a lot of it, you know. And then that Wimbledon situation with the crazy gang and how successful they were mm-hmm. with a bunch of brutes, not great technically most of them there were the other individuals wise he was pretty good and stuff, but um people saw that going oh we can actually be successful playing that way yeah playing that way but then it had its limitations and i think over time we, we discovered that that it had its limitations as far as what and, and then you see what's happening in the modern game which is i think it's really really refreshing the games play really well uh, the pitches have a lot to do with it too. Those yeah, right. Were terrible. You know, they weren't looked after like they are now. They're like carpets. So of course you can, with the skill and the ability they have now, on a perfect surface to play around quite comfortably. It's mm-hmm. good to watch. It's much nicer to watch the game now than what we went through in the in the 80s and that transition of a game that they thought was going to be the the way to play. Mm-hmm. Basically, rugby without hands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How how would today's teams fare in that era? Right. Be interesting, well, yeah, wouldn't it'd it? Be interesting. I mean, Wimbledon. With that team, would 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 stay in the Premier League, right? Still, but they'd be out footballed on a regular basis. Yeah, <laughs> you would they, think they would stay in the Premier League. Well, right. Burnley are kind of similar to. Yeah. Would like Burnley pulled off a good result at the weekend? Would Ashley Barnes make the crazy gang? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, he'd be up there. Maybe <laughs> as an understudy, understudy to Fashionu, but he'd be up there. <laughs> Austria's Ashley Barnes, right? <laughs> 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 uh, we should get to our actual topic. 
du jour. What is that uh, today? Well, I'm glad you read the emails. Thank you. Um, <laughs> John Terry. Yeah, I'm going to say, if, 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 it's a great segue from John Terry. Cheating in football. <laughs> Not that kind of cheating. Not that kind of cheating. Not yet. Not yet. It, we'll, we'll see where the podcast goes. It's quite possible. We'll end up there at some point. But, you know, so, I don't know if there's a sport out there which embraces gamesmanship more than the soccer, right? More than football. If you can get your edge over your opponent, over the referee, over the video assistant referee. God, what a weekend that was, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, we, we seem to really embrace it. Should we just accept that footballers are sniveling cretinist cheats and just <laughs> stop <laughs> complaining about it? Well, that it is. <laughs> that it is. It really is, you right? Know. Even the nicest guys out there, once they cross those lines, become utter bastards. Well... I mean, I always said this too. I mean, the game, because it's truly the world game, everybody's playing it, and the culture of the game is different from every part of the world. But one thing you have to remember, and a lot of people in North America, especially, you know, when we play this, grow up playing fair, tough, honest, the same thing with England too, mm -hmm. it's very you know, honest that way. These guys are coming from incredibly poor backgrounds, and you're going to give them a chance to win a game. They're going to win it any way they can. It's not being soft not being anything other than them doing whatever they can to win games. And you watch the very best international teams and just the smallest little things that they do to get things changed around. I was surprised with the Arsenal game. You guys saw the Arsenal game, um, the first goal for Arsenal. Against Everton yesterday? Yeah. Louise puts his head in. The boot's high and dangerous. And one thing I was surprised by Louise's reaction was he didn't have a reaction. He's, but normally a Brazilian or somebody as sharp as that in a situation like that would grab his face yeah. mm -hmm. because the boot was high and it went to replay. And it was he, a great bicycle kick by Calvert-Lewin. It was a great bicycle kick, yeah. but his boot's right up yeah. next to Luis's face. So w w did he? was it a mistake by Luis not to sell it? Yes. Yeah, he should yeah. have made a big, big meal of it. I see the very best international players, that they're smart enough to make those right decisions at the right time, to draw attention to the fact that mm -hmm. the boo was high. And it was. And is, is that what it is? All that kind of behavior is just to draw attention to it. Not necessarily trying to get the call right there and then, but over the course of 90 minutes, the referee might go, hey, Christ, this, this, this center half is, is throwing his elbow a little bit too much, mm -hmm. and I'm going to eventually blow the whistle. Mm -hmm. Is it a... You, know, you, you build up slowly throughout a game, sure. and then the, just the—I mean—the art of actually taking a getting a penalty. I mean, that is—it will never change that because the referees are looking for whatever and contact. If a player stays on his feet, won't get the call. But there is definitely an art to it. So, so these drawing penalties, drawing fouls. Craig says that poor people are all cheats. Um, do, you, do you agree <laughs> with that? Well, no, I. I <laughs> That's what you said. I think well, I'm saying they're winners. <laughs> <laughs> they cheat to win, but they're. Okay. I, I think what I think what Craig is trying. Craig <laughs> Sharp. I think I think what Craig is trying to allude to is that it's a cultural thing. So we play against teams from South America, from Mexico, from Latino countries. With our Canadian boys here that have grown up, as you said, a very honest try to play in a fair way and it absolutes absolutely drives me crazy at times when we're playing against these teams how naive we really are but uh, i come from a, a background or uh, a development where it was frowned upon to go down you know you was kind of seen as soft 
Yeah, if you, you went you down, get called out by the media, you get called out by your teammates, yeah, so it, it, uh, even by the fans. But yeah. now I look at it, and and uh, we've said to our players as well, you have to play a game within the game. You're you're not only playing right. against your opponent, you're playing against the referee who you're trying to get on your side, but to give you certain decisions. Because when we play against uh, the Mexicans or the South Americans, they're fantastic at it. They're fantastic at managing a game within a game, whether it be a ball going out from a throw-in, and they've already grabbed the ball to kind of deter the referee from making a decision, whereas a 50-50, he doesn't know who has gone off. The linesman doesn't know who has gone off. But the the... the the player from the opposing team's already got the ball and he's taking the throw. And so yeah. the referee said, okay, we continue. Yeah. Small things like that or just any any contact, they are going down, whether it be from yeah. behind, from the side. And we just still have such a naivety. And uh, I've got to commend our players with their honesty, but they've got to start really understanding the game within the game and how small details can can win you games can win you, know you set who you're pieces against, when you're playing against them who the referees are what their tendencies are completely different in CONCACAF I was going to mention that Europe. yeah CONCACAF I mean how many times did you play and you were CONCACAF well a lot pretty much every game uh, pretty much every game yeah but on the other was hand was that naivety same as, oh yeah absolutely totally naive again they want to win at all costs mm-hmm. but you knew I mean, you played down there. You knew what to expect, yeah. right? Yeah. Would you talk to your teammates, the less experienced ones, saying, guys, you don't know what's going to yeah, transpire we, here. Prepare yeah. yourself. But they still did, didn't get it? No, they, they, they got it. I mean, it, it just it just comes naturally mm-hmm. to some, not to others. Right. But like I said to Carlo Corzine in the final of the Gold Cup, like, you get in the box and somebody makes some kind of contact to you. Don't be a hero. <laughs> get yourself on the deck. Yeah, yeah. And he got a penalty. Not that it wasn't a penalty. It was a pretty clear cut. But mm-hmm. get yourself on the deck. But, but put, go put the referee under some pressure. So yeah. we're, we're talking about on the field cheating here, okay? So-called cheating. But that's part of the game. How about According to you? How about Great. off the field cheating? You mean like Man City, for example? Mm, I'm going back to 80s and 90s now, where we would turn up to certain stadiums, and it could be the middle of summer. And certain clubs would have the heating on in the changing rooms, the locker rooms, at full blast. That's interesting. Home field advantage. Certain clubs as well had their coaches listening through the vents, (laughs) your team meeting. Really? That's cheating, in my opinion. Certain people looking at your set pieces, your set plays that are hung up on the wall when you're going out for a warm-up. But isn't that up to you to be smart enough to make that? Uh, Well, we found out throughout the season when certain players, similar to what the Astros are going through now, when certain players are left certain clubs, it would come out that, hey, you know that certain coach or that certain manager, that certain club, they do this within the locker room when you visit their ground. Well, is that one thing when you when you get a new player into your team, into your club, and you're playing his former team, is he is he is he is it okay if he just gives away all the tactics that he knows or how that coach works? I would think it would be. Is it not? Yeah, right. It is right. Yeah. Again, it's, isn't it's that part of the game? Yeah. To try and get the win. Right. Yeah. But that's but that's fine though. You know, <laughs> you get, uh, you find, buy a player though. from Team B. Yeah. And you're playing Team you B. Then you want to get an insight. Much. Everybody knows by watching. Everybody watching Liverpool. They're brilliant. But. Everybody knows what they're going to do. Yeah. yeah I suppose. But, but one of their players but, comes on and tells you. But if that player says, you know, like, the, oh, the, the goalkeeper is terrible to his right, I guess you know that already. There's been enough scouting, 
right? Yeah, but it's oh, What about injuries? Yeah, what about if someone comes? Not gonna have a <laughs> but what if you say, you know, they, the goalkeeper's got a bit of a dodgy right knee, you know, he's playing hurt right now, or, or, or the, the yeah, centre-back's I mean, got a, a rip always, injury? We would always have, like, players that had moved on or gone to different clubs, and they would still have friendships within that team, and certain coaches or managers would say, listen, do not be leaking out any information to... Joe's obviously joined the team we're playing tomorrow. Right, Let's right. keep everything. But players spoke to other players. They yeah. give texts, say, hey, how's uh, Sharm's doing? How's his uh, left hammy? They'd be like, oh, right. he's struggling a bit. Didn't do training today. So that would be part of yeah, yeah. maybe the, the tactical talk that we do on the Friday. or And there'd be certain set pieces or certain plays that that club were renowned for or that coach was known for. Listen, they're going to put their first corner to the back post and drag everyone to the near post. Just be aware of that. Certain aspects of that, but as Craig says, the teams are scouted so diligently now. Mm -hmm. It's not really a shock what they're going to do to you. It's just how efficient they can be at mm -hmm. what we know they're going to do and how we can kind of defend against that. It's amazing that my, my dad, when he'd make me play for the other team, had no concerns about what information <laughs> I might pass on. Let him have the ball. <laughs> It'd be like, I, I can picture my dad in, in, in the huddle with the team saying, don't worry, fellas, I've got rid of him. <laughs> He's playing for them today. Yay! Amazing. God. We've got to get your dad on the show. I, I, I want to get your dad on the show because I want to I get deep down and, and get to the bottom of this and why... Why he traded you every game? Yeah, exactly. Last scene of Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> Nelson with his hand up. Put him off the team. I'm worried about his mental health. <laughs> I know. Poor guy mentions every it every. Show. I know. Every show. Can't get my dad in this podcast. Then we can get into some political discussions. <laughs> See where it goes. We should get my dad <laughs> and my dad and your dad. They're going, oh. they going great, I think. Oh, my dad's yeah. my dad's all over. He's all over Brexit at the moment, my old man. You no, know, like you know, often sports teams have like the the fathers and mothers games. You know, they bring them aboard. You know, yeah. and they they treat them really well. I mean, we won't treat our parents well, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring them aboard. <laughs> hey, you get my dad an espresso, some panettone, he'll be here. He'll be all right. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, cheating is like you said, it's, it's innate in football, whether you call it games and shit or whatever. But off the field as well, you know. In, in the negotiation room, bungs being passed back and forth, despite what they might say now, it still happens, right? How, I mean, I don't want to. There's money involved too. Yeah. You know, you're you're going to see match fixing and things like that, a real cheating of the game. You know, people that are making lower divisions, making no money, they're going to be susceptible to a opportunity to gamble and, and make some money that uh, we've seen that happen. And that's where match fixing is so prevalent. You don't see it so often in, in the yeah. top leagues. You I see mean, it in the, the lower leagues. The body protect themselves or certainly protected or try to by having you know 50 or 60 of the top gambling sites that will be policed and if there's any irregular betting that'll be... But there's, but there's so much gambling in football though, right? The players are... are no, I don't want to well, cast them with the same brush, but let's be honest. <laughs> right? on the shirts, yeah, right? it's so hypocr hypocritical, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to be part but of it. in the room, it's a gambling is a part of the football culture as well, right? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, guys. I, I won a lot of money in the 90s <laughs> right. through gambling. We had we had a we had a play at our club where it was it was very very stupid on the on the betting companies that they would put down bets for everything like the first time the first moment the ball would go out of play uh, players that would get yellow cards uh, random stuff like first uh, I don't know first time uh, a goal kick happens so we had a play that 
we would, me and a couple of friends would bet on the first time the ball would go out of play. So if we won the kickoff, the t- coin toss, we were in the money because the two friends, well, teammates would stand in the centre circle because you had to play the old kickoff, play forwards, mm-hmm. and I would go and stand out by the sideline ready for that deep ball towards the sideline. <laughs> so we would we would this always is, uh, bet on the first zero, I think it was zero to 10 seconds, the ball would go out of play. And it was it was silly bets. It was like 20 to one every time. So if we won the kickoff, the coin toss, I would go stand out by the sideline, they'd nudge it a little bit, and they would overhit the ball to me on the sideline. I'd try my best to get up there and head it. What, what level was this? Are you talking? I, I can't talk about the level. <laughs> can't say what level? Okay, so it's no. clearly Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> but we won a lot of family vacations and boys' vacations and even... Uh, so I've the drinks lost, I've lost as so well. much respect for you, Deech. You know, yeah. my my love of <laughs> the purity of the game has just been tarnished by you. In <laughs> this, this it's this awful, isn't it? You would never be involved in anything like that, right, Craig? No, no, never. Actually, Not West Ham really. and Wimbledon were the worst guys. They were the yeah. ones that. So everyone did it. Is what you're saying? Oh, it was a known thing in the nineties, and then the, the the betting companies put a block, yeah. block to it. Well, we had the one. Uh, <laughs> they must have lost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. We had the one at Upton Park where I mean we had nothing to do with it. It was a Asian black market gambling syndicate. Do you remember the? That's right. The, the floodlights, yeah. Park, where it was Arsenal against uh, right. Crystal Palace or Wimbledon, maybe because Wimbledon was sharing that ground at the time. Yeah, it was Wimbledon. It was at Selhurst Park. And yeah. then the game was abandoned, and then it happened at Upton Park. But in the Far East, gambling, the results will stand after an hour. <laughs> So even though the result would be abandoned, the game would be abandoned for gambling purposes in the East, it would be, it would uh, stand. So we're playing Palace at Upton Park. Frank Lampard ties it up, I think, in the 63rd minute. I remember running off to the sideline doing the celebration, and the lights just, every light in the stadium, out. Even backup lights, emergency lights, everything done. And they blew up. They had a bomb. In the, it was actually a bomb, right? Yeah. yeah. Actual actually, bomb. A bomb. Remote control in the stand, and the guy just hit it and blew the whole power room up, <laughs> and you were never coming back. That's incredible. They were eventually, nobody knew what that time was going on, but they were eventually caught because they tried the same thing again at Charlton. Yeah. And that's they, they must caught. have made millions on that, by the way. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. You, I mean, those, those gambling syndicates, I mean, they still are very prevalent, you know, and you can bet on the lowest leagues you can imagine. You know, if you find the right website, right? It's, yeah. And there's always that one spotter at yeah. some of these lower division, even Canada. You know, I mean, yeah. our, our good CSL friend Ben Mycroft's done yeah. a lot on this over the years at CBC uh, before before leaving CBC, having the you know the, the gambling syndicates betting on lower league Canadian soccer, and there's a guy in the stands just yeah. on his phone continuously. You seen it in the CSL? We used to play the TFC Academy. The oldest team used to play in the CSL. Used to go and watch games, scout games, and there was always a guy in the stadium or the stands that was relaying the game back to China or wherever it was. Where the because yeah, the they had live betting, they'd live yeah. betting. Go, yeah, so yeah, it was exactly. Like, oh, goal kicks, go six nothing, whatever. Goal kick, corner kick, like, and they were just constantly relaying this back to the Far East, and he was sitting in the stand by himself. Yeah, this is Toronto, Croatia versus yeah. Serbian White Eagles. I'm going, why is this being relayed? Is this live on TV or what's going on here? And it was a guy relaying the, the game back to the... Yeah. We must get Declan Hill. We'll get Declan Hill at some point. Came over and had some friends playing in the league. Mm. So you can gamble on this. There's nobody here. 
Mm. This is the easiest fix in the world. And how yeah, how easy is it to get to those players as well? Right? Exactly. These guys aren't making much yeah. to play these games, right? Yeah, and here's five grand, here's ten grand. What? Yeah. It's it's, it's significant, right? Yeah. Now we'll get Declan Hill. That's a, he'd be a great guest, Declan. He would be uh, a great guest. I haven't, yeah. heard from, haven't heard from Declan for a while. Um, yeah. No one knows more about this subject than him. Yeah. No, he's brilliant. Yeah. Have you guys ever been approached back in your careers? No. To, to, if not throw games, just no. do something apart from no. your teammates no. and throw ins? No. It happened to the Canadian national team soon after the '86 World Cup when they went out to Asia. Mm-hmm. There were some uh, opportunities, and some players took some money back in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, still exists, unfortunately, right? But it's hard to get the top leagues, obviously, because these guys are so well paid to begin with. That's the difference. You know, you, you know, oh, offer ten grand to some to throw. Yeah. I'm making ten grand in the yeah, first yeah, half. You know, yeah, I mean, Bruce Grobelar went through his issues. Yeah, Liverpool and Hannah Sagers. Yep, Bashing I remember a funny situation that we had in in our infamous uh, Lecce. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us the Syria stories. Oh, you? This, this was a brilliant one. So we, <laughs> when I signed for Lecce, Prendelli was the coach, and I told you about our president, who was a little bit crazy, aloof, used to carry the pistol in his his belt pocket. <laughs> so we were playing. I think we were playing Brescia or Atalanta at home. One game. So. The president had come into the locker room before the game, as he usually does, and he goes around and speaks to everyone, good luck. And I just noticed he spoke to a couple of the experienced guys saying, we know what result we want today. And I didn't really take it in at the time. But when I'd signed, another a young player had signed from Brazil who did not speak a word of Italian. And he was very... Very like out there, very as flamboyant as you expect from a Brazilian. Did what he want, even when the coach told him to do something, he would do what he want on the field. So we were one nil up in the, on, in the game, and myself and him were were on the bench. We came on in the game, and the, the opponents had scored. They scored the equalizer. Last five minutes of the game. The Brazilian kid, I've flicked on the ball. The Brazilian kid goes for a goal and scores. So we end up winning the game. He's jubilant. Whatever it is, is his first goal. I can't remember the guy's name. But So we go back into the change room, the locker room after the game. And everybody, for the most part, is pretty happy. But I've noticed the experienced kind of pros are kind of sat down in their room like that. And then the president comes in the room and he starts fucking swearing. What? What the fuck's going on? The fuck did this kid want? And I'm like, hold on a minute. We just won the game. <laughs> we just won the game. Like, we're getting relegation trouble here. And he's worried about that we... And I later found out that they put big money on the draw. Wow. The wow. Brazilian kid had no idea. Of course. He was yeah. sent, like, I, that week, of I didn't even see him again. He, like, he was literally gone the next week. But you weren't, you weren't approached or told about this? No. So I mean, we were totally kept out of the loop. Just the, the veteran why players. I'm kind of thinking the veteran players were yeah. involved with it. The president, they'd been there a long time. Or oh, they thought you were so insignificant. You wouldn't each one be an issue. You <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be an issue. Ichio, not the problem yeah, today. Problem. <laughs> That's why we brought him in. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, perfect. He would never score a goal. But <laughs> <laughs> his Brazilian game, well, he scored his first goal, and I was so upset wow. for him because. He got lodged back to Brazil Jesus. or wherever he come from a week He's later. probably still thinking to himself, all this, what the hell happened there? I scored the bloody goal. 
And that was Jetson Doff the next week. Yeah, I thought I did all right. Yeah, president must have got a pistol out and oh. set him on his merry way. But some of those Italian stories, though, right? I mean, oh. how the corruption behind the scenes. I mean, yeah. Calciopoli, obviously, is the head of it. And, man, they dealt with that harshly. If you think about that, you know, Juventus, who is, was essentially the, the Manchester United of Italian football, being, being sent down to the third division. It's incredible, yes. isn't it? Yes. Now you're there, there was dark times back then in, in Serie A. There was a lot of corruption going on. I think there was a, a lot of involvement from from the mafia as well, and they just couldn't get a hold of things. Even the officials were involved, and that's why Juve went down. Milan were involved as well, and it was a, a dark time that it's taken a, a long time for Serie A, Serie A as as a whole to kind of recover from. And now it's in a good. Good yeah, spot. better place. It's, it's growing again. It's but a more solid foundation there, more trustworthy kind of supposed owners that are putting money into... Well, you've seen, so, the, you've yeah. seen the Maradona documentary, right? Yeah. On HBI. It's really good. And they, they really follow him in his Napoli days and who he hung out with and who was the, the power brokers of Napoli and the Syria. And they weren't just the, uh, businessmen, shall we say. You know, they were connected people. Yeah. <laughs> very connected people who hung out with certain other people and it was pretty obvious and it wasn't even kind of hidden no no napoli was run by mobsters it was yeah yeah incredible and they bring over diego maradona who's <laughs> <was> like what <laughs> okay that'd be a good party i'm going there you know this is my new best mate do you know who he is diego yeah but great great documentary yeah i mean it's fantastic yeah cheating in football well who knew <laughs> we all knew <laughs> every single person knew uh uh, where else? Uh, before we, we leave today, I mean, talking about cheating in football and the various issues in, in, in on the field, okay? Back to that. Nothing annoys me more, I think, than the grappling, grab, grappling and grabbing off players in the box and free kicks and corners. You see it every week and every, you know. As a goalkeeper, it must have driven you crazy, but in a, in a good way, right? Did you encourage your centre-backs to grab hold of the, the striker and well, tackle him to the ground? They, their, their job was to make sure that their man didn't score a goal. Is that a problem, though, in the game, do you think? Do they need to deal with that? It would be interesting. It would be, be opening up a can of worms if they, if they start calling everything on corners. Mm-hmm. Is it 50-50, though, yeah, Dink? I mean, you're a big guy, physical guy in there. You know, Is it's it a bit of both? It's a part of the game that I think for a long a long time, it was kind of shunned upon and turned a referee turned a blind eye to it. And then I thought after the World Cup, after like England got, I think, five set pieces, whether it be free kicks, penalty kicks, I thought they were really going to stamp down in it. FIFA said they were going to stamp yeah. down on any kind of contact within the, the, the penalty box, any pulling, shoving, picks, blocks, whatever you call it. It seems like it's kind of transcended back to what it used to be now. And it's a part of the game, it really is. Unless it's totally, totally blatant, blatant that it's mm-hmm. a pull, like you can see the actual jersey shirt being pulled or someone's holding an arm. Well, well isn't that the big dilemma, though? Football, it is a contact sport, right? It's not a collision sport. Yeah. It is a contact sport. A bit like basketball, right, in, in some regards, that there is going to be physicality in the, if certain areas of the field and we shouldn't shy away from that you know obviously you don't want it what don't want to see what it was in the 80s with the you know the two-footed challenges that the brutal football but it is still a tough game and there should be a bit of this and a bit of that in the area and in certain uh confrontations yeah, right i would agree with that but it's a great area though right so where does it where's the where's the line drawn yeah no it is a great area 
I think when a player's health or like if there's bodily harm involved, whether it be an overzealous challenge or like an elbow to the face that is knocking someone out, that's when people have to kind of look at it. That's what they're trying to stamp out. But as I said, uh, growing up in England, it was partial compared to where I went to Italy in Serie A. And it, it was amazing in Italy. I was I was like at corner kicks, free kicks, and my marker is basically got both arms around. He's not even looking at the ball, so I'm looking at the ref as this guy's basically bear hugging me, and not letting me get anywhere near the ball. But that was how they defended back in it. But it's funny, right? Italian Syria, as an example, there, you know, it's got this reputation over the years of being full of divers, right, and cheaters. But it's also one of the most physical nasty leagues to play in as well mm. right so it's kind of a bit of this and a bit of that yeah they they do dive but also watch yourself man because that's that's some nasty footballers out there <laughs> they know how to defend as well yeah From a young young right. age is instilled in them how to defend 1v1 like uh 2v2s in the block how to protect the goal they, they they do it very very well but it was kind of alarming to me to say it's, there's there's no calls at all here. Like I'm going for a header and I'm being dragged down by my shorts, yeah. and the referee's playing on. Or it's just it was. That's why there is interesting differences when you're playing. Like I said, knowing who the referees are, knowing the league you're in, knowing exactly all these nuances that are different from different parts of the world. From different yeah, leagues to referees for sure, right? Like you knew if you're John Moss was refereeing, for example, would be different to I don't oh, know, yeah. Mike Dean. Yeah, yeah. I had never had any problems with English referees, really, for the most part. No, no. Who was the best? Well, you knew they were always honest or they weren't trying to do anything other than just call the game as they saw it. But was one that as far as I was you concerned. knew that, okay, this guy, good. We've got, we've got Howard Webb. Or Milford was good. Remember Roger Milford, the, the guy with a grey kind of um, oh, yeah, yeah. flow? Yeah. He was from Bristol. He was excellent. He used to let the game flow, but he would talk to you, yeah, give you a little bit of banter. And very, very good. And then I remember one instance I had with uh, the great Uriah Rennie, who Uriah was, Rennie. Wow. was a, a, a total dick at times. <laughs> but I played a game about three weeks earlier, and we'd had a battle, and he wasn't giving me many calls. And I said, you're the worst referee the Premier League's ever seen. Go get back on you fucking Harley Davidson. You, you're thinking more He was a biker? That. I don't know. He was doing all. <laughs> he don't know, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think he had, No, I saw something. Yeah, yeah, he had something in a magazine where he was on a Harley Davidson, and uh, like he was a show. <laughs> like he was all about the show. And then three weeks later, we had a home game, QBR against Sheffield United. I remember. No, it's West Brom. Sorry. So, the first five minutes of the game, like a big challenge has come in, and it's a blatant foul. The guy's gone through me, and I've kind of staggered back up, and Uriah's looking over me, and he said. You and your gaffer are not getting any calls today. So get used to it, Sonny. Wow, really? Yeah. So, and I, I went to report him after the game, uh, report it to Gary Megson, who was the coach at the time, because I think Uriah Rennie was from Sheffield and they'd had some previous. And I just said, look, this is what the referee had said to me during the game. He said, right, we're going to report it to the FA. And did they? Nothing ever came no. of it. The right. FA always backed the, the referees. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's he, good. he didn't last long, though, did he? He, he ended up drifting out because I don't think they liked yeah. the fact that they didn't want the referees being the, the, show. the show. Well, look at Mark Clattenburg, right? I mean, he was he was the show, yeah. but then he left on his own volition. I think he had enough it, of the it was abuse. It's a shame with Uriah Rennie because there's not many black referees within the league. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? it was, uh, I think it was a good opportunity for him to show that 
open the door. Yeah, open right? the door. We yeah. want more black referees or, or referees of color to come into the league and, and be professional. But he was just such a twat, the way he behaved and <laughs> off the field and just the smirkiness he, he went around the field with. Even in the warm-up, he'd be running around. The yeah, field. like... Very <laughs> odd. <laughs> <laughs> so who was the best referee then that year? Was the one guy that you liked like I said, to play for? No problem at all, eh? Compare the Premier League referees to, oh, I don't know, CONCACAF referees. Different world. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't trust them, right? You knew that they were you were playing against 12? Well, I mean, back in the you know CONCACAF era where uh, Jack Warner was in charge and you know knew the deal there, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was difficult. You felt like you were playing against 13, the referee and Jack Warner. Yeah, yeah, right. That's unbelievable, like, isn't it? How do you get up for a game knowing that that you're facing yeah. just so many uh, obstacles? Well, why would they? I mean, you think of the Gold Cup. Why would they want they Canada in the final? They wouldn't. No, they of wouldn't. course not. Disaster. It's the worst. The Coliseum's empty. Yeah. When they're Mexico and the U.S. are playing, there's eighty thousand there. Yeah. You know, so from mm. money standpoint, all those yeah. standpoints, you you know, you, you're up against it. We don't travel anybody. Yeah, yeah. We don't like. Jesus, I always like friends of the game. <laughs> I always liked a referee that had control of the mm-hmm. game, but without using his whistle. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he understood the flow of the game. Um, he understood when to be kind of demanding on the players to keep their role within the game at a, a good intensity, but not to go over the edge. Guys that use their whistle every bloody thirty seconds a minute for me that that show for me that shows that they want to be the center of attention where really the game is what people are coming to watch or what mm-hmm. players want to play they don't want to stop start they don't want a referee to be talking to them for thirty seconds a yeah. minute they just want the floor of the game. Do you think refs should have to uh, talk to the cameras after a match and explain certain decisions? I don't know of them individually, but I wouldn't mind if the authorities would come out. And I think they have done some of these bar calls have come out and sort of yeah. messed up. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that. But like a referee, say, Discussion. say Mike Dean, you know, after a controversial match, straight away like the players do, like the coaches do, have to... Yeah, I know. No. That's tough, you know, right? Like that's tough, yeah. Tough. I think I like it. It's a tough job, right? Let's be honest. It's such a tough job. and possible job. Yeah. And they do really quite well with it, all things considered. Mike Dean was uh, on the Peter Crouch podcast, I think, last week. Really, really good interview, actually. I think Jim Lee is in that podcast. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting getting inside the mind of a referee, a really well-known referee as well, a guy that a lot of fans hate because <laughs> they assume that he's against their team, which is crap, I think. You never saw a referee being biased, surely, aside from Uriah Rennie, right? Uh, They're yeah, obviously no, football fans, right? He was they being biased. He was just, just being a twat. Giving, yeah, me any calls or our team. But was there ever? do you ever feel that this guy specifically is against our team? Certain, every, uh, certain every grounds, game. for sure. Like yeah. Old Trafford. So that was a thing, Old Trafford. It wasn't just a myth. Old Trafford, they, they get the calls. I think it was Webb that did our 9-0 mm. game. Oh, was it? I think so. Should have been 7. Well, he was cheering <laughs> during it. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was cheering. He was, he was, like, he was, he was celebrating. So during, yeah. <laughs> he kind of went over to one. Was, uh, yeah, he was like the naked gun. He's like, steer. He was in uh, Eastern Town, right, Howard Webb? 
Is he? This week, yeah, the Ontario Soccer Association Maybe. had their... Uh, we need to get a referee. I'm going to get one yeah, of my friends on uh, that's refereed in the CPL. Maybe Dave Barry or even Joe Fletcher, who's a linesman in, in the World Cup. Still one of the greatest ever gifts yeah. in referee history, when Joe he Fletcher, that. right? When he <laughs> went to when shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that, Wonga? No, he's uh, oh, in the World Cup, good. right? Uh, Who was he? Sh- was it Portugal? Maybe Ronaldo. He, he went to shake hands, as you yeah. do, but I guess the, the, the player big, yeah. uh, just didn't see him there, right? And yeah. he kept walking. So rather than he did the old uh, reach his hand out and then brush his side of his hair, <laughs> it was amazing. He's a really funny He's guy. He's a good so guy. If Joe, we can yeah, get him is. on, yeah, if we can get yeah. him on, he'd be good to have on. We'll do a referee edition for sure. Yeah. We'll reach out to Declan Hill. Any other suggestions out there for guests, people? Let us know. Yeah. We can't pay anyone. We've got no money. That narrows down that <laughs> <laughs> Um Anything else you want to get to, fellas, before we uh, say farewell? I'm, I'm not mentioning it today. I refuse to talk about it. You've already mentioned it, but I'm refusing what? to talk about it this weekend. Yeah. I'm not saying it. VAR. Oh, VAR, yeah. VAR. I know. I just, I'm just so sick. I'm so bored of it. Well, well, we get a referee on. We can talk about it maybe, right? Up there. <laughs> oh, it's just... Not Living talking about game. <laughs> <laughs> Game's gone, Deech. Get it right, fellas. You're going to do it. Yeah. That's right. Get it right. Fucking right. If it takes more than 10 seconds, it's not clear and obvious. Yeah, he'll get it right. You think so? Well, it's not going away, is it? Eight, eight, eight minutes, 22 eight seconds this weekend. Leon versus Mets. He thinks, he thinks VAR is like, they'll get it right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it'll be there in 10 years now and 20 years now, unfortunately. So, all right, well, we're out of time, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, enjoy the trade deadline, by the way. Is there ever a more sobering day working in, in sports media in this country and trade deadline day when you realize just how unimportant everything is except for hockey? Was <laughs> trade deadline in, in hockey today, yeah. So, each, each of the networks has like, you know, 47 analysts on talking about deals that probably won't happen. We should have done it. We should have done trade a trade deadline. deadline day. Remember the Sky? Well, it used to be deadline day, right? And it, there is deadline day in, in football. And no, Sky. We should have done it for oh, hockey. For hockey? You think so? Yeah. Trade all the Leafs. I have no idea, like, the, how to pronounce the names. It would have been pretty good banner. Beach explains hockey would be a good segment, right? Remember we were going to do uh, Beach? We, we thought about <laughs> bourbon, you know, Beach explains bourbon, Brexit. Right? Remember that? And Brexit happened. It's kind of. Brexit is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. That would be a cracker. It would be frat. We'd be throwing each other through that window. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing, Dad. Say eh? how you can you can love them so much and hate them as well at the same time. <laughs> All right. Hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Uh, don't forget, give us a follow on Twitter, Footy underscore Prime, and then on Facebook and YouTube and everywhere else, Instagram. It is Footy Prime, the podcast. Our thanks to our home away from home, DeanBlundell.com. Some great pods, by the way, on Dean's. Uh, network there and of course our thanks to Eggplant Picture and Sound for this wonderful studio uh, hopefully it's sounding good Dan yeah, gonna, is it going to sound good yeah, yeah? Okay. better than the first four minutes last week <laughs> <laughs> alright we'll see you next week cheers for listening even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.